Now she is, Captain. Isn't she a beauty? Yes, she is, Mr. Scott. Is she ready to go? Aisa. She's ready to go to the stars. This is the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. It's mission to seek out new ideas, find new games, and to boldly bring the awesome to your game. Mr. Scott, Warp 9. I Captain. And now, our host. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Pixie. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. Your podcast of slaying the dragon, rescuing the attractive air, saving the town, and you still have to buy your own drinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, All right. You just kill a dragon. That should get you a little, that, that should get you enough money to buy drinks for a while. Yeah. Welcome to the TriTech Games Podcast. This week, we are talking about heroic play and why isn't it something that seems to be in most games. Uh, as, and I can say that uh, my own personal history, uh, I started way back in 1980, and I was really looking forward to the idea of playing a heroic character. You know, built my fighter and and you know it's gonna be with a gr- group of made you know like a, a wizard and and all those people and it sounded really great and i was surprised to find that everybody was just out for the treasure and killing everything in front of them and nobody actually wanted to do anything that seemed in any way heroic other than you know it uh, if it just happened to be part of the quest oh i need you to rescue my daughter well okay fine how much is that how much are you to give us not it must you know th- that that foul deed must be rectified i mean nobody seemed to have anything about you know moving fo- you know doing something like that and i don't think that was gary gygax's plan because everything i read about gary gygax was that was exactly what they were trying to promote in the very first games that they did at the Twin Cities and out and up there at uh, Lake Geneva. Yeah, I think my first character was a thieving hobbit. Back when they were hobbits and not halflings. And know. when they were thieves <laughs> and not rogues. Yeah. 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 Oh, God, my first character, I couldn't even tell. <laughs> I, I, I don't remember what I would have played as a first character. Mm-hmm. Oh. My very first character... Uh, actually died because we uh, went to this cloud castle and we found all this stuff but we ended up in a room where we were resting and one of the characters goes outside and wizard locks the door and none of us were powerful enough to take the wizard lock down and he said either you give up half of your treasure to me each one of you or I'm going to leave you in there to die and my character and like one other character, you know, we basically said, we'd rather die than to, to, than to bow under such, you know, 
onerous, you know, you know, threats or something like that. That you know, that I to to, to bow under such you know such a craven demand would be against my character's alignment is against whatever. And so that was one of the like one of the only times I can remember where this actually happened, where you know people actually just literally rose up and said, we're going to take the high road even if we die. And we died. Of course, the GM conveniently forgot that you probably could have gotten through the wall of the dungeon and not the door. But, you know. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wizard Lock only affects the door. doesn't affect the walls attached to it. You're, you're gaming the situation, and the fact was that, no, the GM did not give us that option. It was, you know, it was either jump out the window and fall to our desk or it was go through the door. And, uh, and none of us had any equipment to go through three feet of solid stone. So in a time it would take for us to not, you know, not turn into cannibals on each other or die of thirst. So we, we made the choice and we, 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 you know, we drew a shade down over the last moments of our characters' lives, but we, but we took the high road. And I, and I was very proud of that. <laughs> yeah, and then the guy looted your body after you died. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, he didn't because he wasn't willing to stay around that long. He uh, left the dungeon and he did something to the way into the dungeon so that nobody else could ever go into the dungeon and rescue us. But it also meant he could never go into the dungeon again either. So he basically, we, 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 we won in that sense. Uh, did the campaign continue after that or... <laughs> Well, the campaign continued with new characters, of course. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. So what I'm talking about here is that, you know, I, it's always been a problem for me in that most games don't seem to have uh, any kind of a heroic element to it outside of, of mere trappings. Uh, you know, the, the, there are knights, but, you know, there's uh, more often than not, the knight is a, is a flawed knight or it's a black knight. You know, or whatever. You know, it, it always seemed to me that that uh, this was this was a problem, and I really, and it's one of the reasons that I got involved with TriTac because TriTac um, had is in its um, experience system that you got more experience for doing no good things like using no violence, uh, negotiating a way to a solution rather than using violence. Uh, helping others, all those gave you, you know, in some cases, massive amounts of experience compared to winning the battle. Winning the battle was like the, you know, was like 300 experience points. You know, using no violence was 5,000 experience points. And in some reviews of the TriTac system, you know, they many, well, as a matter of fact, more than one had complained about that very experience system, saying that. You know, Richard Tohoka was legislating morality, and that was, you know, and, and he had no business doing that. Wow. You know, and I, well, you know, I thought it was wrong when they said it, but I know a lot of people want to do what they want to do in a game. But see, to me, you know, that in itself is not, is not a heroic goal. That's a very selfish, self-serving goal, and if that's what they want to play, that's fine. But that. It gets in the way of people who do want to play heroic characters and play a heroic campaign. Yeah, I mean, those reviewers were all, I would say, in the class of either min-maxers, Monty Haulers, or as we now call them, murder hobos. 
Well, John, I'm not about to, you know, vilify the, the reviewers. I don't know enough about them to say that. The point was is that a lot of them felt that their care, you know, it there was a it is a philosophy that the character should follow his or her own path regardless of what happens around them, you know, and is only modified by the choices of the character of the player. Okay who lives in a 21st century world, you know, who's, who's seen a lot of things and doesn't actually live in a medieval society where, you know, certain ideas like um, the divine right of kings exist, that, you know, that lords and ladies are actually morally above you. You know, that, 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 that royalty actually has noblesse oblique uh, oblique, which is they owe the people under them good treatment. You know, these concepts are you know, are foreign to our modern civilization. They're not necessarily foreign because we still have, granted, the British monarchy is more of a figurehead monarch, and I'm not bad-mouthing any of our United Kingdom listeners Commonwealth. Uh, Commonwealth. It's just that, you know, we still have... The, we call it a constitutional monarchy. Yeah. But still, they, you know, we still have, you know, God save the queen and all that, and um, noblesse oblige. I mean, we do have these concepts. I mean, they're not totally foreign to us. Actor Kevin Spacey said, when you make it to the top, send the elevator back down. To let to bring other people up and help them. So I mean, these concepts are still here today. Yeah, they are. Some might consider them a little outdated, and our world has become a lot more jaded. But I mean, they're they're not. I wouldn't say necessarily they're foreign. Yeah. And the problem with D and D that it also had the alignment system, which in some ways dictated how certain characters are going to behave. Uh, especially if you have a dictatorial GM who who said you have to play your alignment. Yeah, <laughs> I've run into those guys who have no leeway whatsoever. Oh, well, we all have, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So for them, if you're if you're a paladin, you're a lawful good. Then therefore, you must kill every le- evil character in the, on your team. Oh yeah, we've had. <laughs> uh, matter of fact, Pixie's mother, Goth Bunny, in a previous Friday night game played. Dawn, the yes, paladin. Yeah, there were times we had to sit there. I, but I must destroy evil. Not yet. We can't do it right now. We do need them for information. We need them for, but they must die. They're evil. So yeah, we've had to, you know, kind of, we've had yeah. to deal with those alignment, those very restrictive alignments. Yeah. The thing is, though, when we say lawful good, then you look at uh, just a second, John. What was that? Sorry. But that's the thing that happens when you're playing such a large party. Well, it's not so much tend to be. Well, it, it's not so much a large party. It's that the alignment system. It's very. It is black and white. I mean, it you. It is very black and white. They they dictate yeah. each one quite specifically. If you go by the nine, lawful good, neutral evil, yeah. neutral good, true neutral so, uh, evil, and then so the chaotic. Yeah, you yeah. have. The very set rules. Same with uh, Palladium's seven alignments. 
principled, scrupulous, unprincipled, anarchist, miscreant, aberrant, and diabolic. Yeah. Kevin Sabita printed all those. They are very cut, dried, set. He gives examples, but they still are very codified and okay. You will yeah. will not do in these situations these things. And they're all Western. I mean, if you go to other cultures, what we consider lawful good, they would go, they would go. That's just silly. Well, it's funny because <laughs> in the late great Eric Wujic's game Ninjas and Super Spies. He brings up principled with honor, yes. aberrant with honorable principles. So he extends that because Ninjas and Super Spies did delve into the, and I keep wanting to say Oriental, that is not, the, Asian philosophies and methods of behavior and morality. He yeah. brings that into the Palladium system because Eric Wujic studied in China for several years and even did a game design class or three while he was living there. And, and so, I hate to say, yeah, and I hate to say the most bloodthirsty characters are not the chaotic evil ones. It's the lawful good ones. Because they wipe out any and all evil and you have to hold them back from doing so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, wait, you promote life. You're not even give these guys like send them to trial or whatever. That kind of makes you judge, jury, and executioner. That, uh, you know. Well, it's a, it's a simplistic way of looking at the world. And, you know, and, and that is always going to be a problem. If you, role, if you play your character simply as an archetype, then yes, you're going to find yourself constrained to that archetype. And you're going to end up eventually having to make a decision that you personally may not agree with. You know, but your character has to do it. And I think that's where you're running where people run into problems in that they are, you know, as as the saying goes, you know, they have, you know, viol they have upheld the law but violated the spirit. Oh yeah, letter and spirit of the law, yeah. Yeah. With with Josie and I both being autistic aspies, yeah, we tend to live more by the letter than the spirit. And when we have to do the spirit, I know I, I can speak from personal experience. I've had to go by the spirit of the law and it just bugs the crap out of me. Yeah. I and mean, I'm just I'm, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing that I, I, I remember seeing someone doing one of those alignment memes, where, you know, where they have the you know, lawful yeah. good. And I yeah. seen someone did two of them in a row with the exact same people reversed and justified every one of them. Oh, so that's, had, that's creepy. Yeah. But the thing is, you, you looked at it and said, Yeah, you are right. In this, from this person's point of view, he is lawful good. That person was Adolf Hitler. Well, John, you're, you're kind of creating a situation where you're talking about something that no one has any reference to. So it doesn't really help us here. A lot of the issues that we, we talk about were, were baked into role playing games because of D&D and the subsequent games. Now, Traveler which also came out in the same time period, had didn't actually have anything, no alignments whatsoever. So it, it, that game kind of didn't care what you did. As long as, as, long as, you, as, long as you met the scenario, then you get the scenario rewards. But did it have actually heroic play? <sighs> That's a good question, because the games I played was more about, okay, where you got to make the run from, from this world to this world and may and sell this cargo. And we had a little adventure along the way. So yeah, no. And, and we probably should define what we mean by heroic play. 
Okay. And, you know, because I, I know that I, everyone has a different idea of that. Just, you know, this is one of the problems about even talking about this. Okay. So I'm going to, so it, to me, my definition is heroic play is where characters who consider themselves to be good, okay, strive to improve the world around them, to uphold values that they think are positive and to engage in behaviors that reduce the amount of suffering in the world and promote peace and mercy. Okay. So that's my definition of heroic play. How about you, Trav? I like your points. That is good. But see, if you want to go back to John mentioning about the meme where it said Adolf Hitler was lawful good, to him those traits that he thought were helping his nation, pretty much the rest of the world went to war over. So, I mean, it's kind of, you know, um, mercy, okay. Um, to alleviate suffering, yes. To promote well-being, I would say those would be involved with heroic play, yes. Um, generally helping others on a large and small scale. Not only, oh yeah, we saved the damsel, but also we're doing things like helping the community and all that. Th that would be things I would consider heroic play. Like uh, kingdom building, for example. You know, there are rules and systems for like yeah. Pathfinder's Ultimate Campaign. So yeah, doing things like that would be considered heroic play because you're creating a place that, you know, you can create laws and help the people around you. So macro and micro. I'm trying to see anything else I would add to heroic play. No, I think that that would, you covered most of it and I add my little bit. <laughs> now, I, I don't mean just being good. Okay, I'm talking about where you go above that, where you're actually trying to transform the world around you into a better world. You know, so, you know, it's so that's where the big quests come in. That's where going against the big bad comes in. You're not doing it because you want fame. You're not doing it because someone's paying you. You're doing it because you want to make a better world. Uh, a safer world, and some people say, I want to make a safer world for my children. Okay, that's fine, but you're still, you know, but it's also you're trying to make a better world for everybody. So it's a lofty goal. There has to be some lofty, you know, goals in this. Otherwise, it's just you, you know, trying to be good and what, and, and just generally engaging in what we I like to refer to as enlightened self-interest. And even evil people engage in that. So altruism? True alt altruism, yes. Because when you say heroic, I, 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 I'm well read. I've read uh, Sprague Le Camp. I read, I read uh, many Conan, Farfit, and the Gray Mouser. But I'm thinking of always heroic adventures. But I'm thinking of the two most heroic characters in fiction: Sam, Sam Gamgee, and Frodo Baggins. Yeah, which D and D was not based on. Yeah, which D and D was not based on for legal purposes. No, no, not because of legal purposes, John. They literally were pulling from the other stuff. 
I was making a joke, Bruce. I was making a joke. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, those two guys, those two people, people went through hell, literally, and they, they they could have killed Gollum at any point in time, and they didn't. And they they basically they didn't they they weren't fighters. They were they they were uh, it sounded like a Hakawi. They were lovers. No, but they were they weren't fighters. They were just a pair of uh, Shire far folks. You know, a squire and his and his gardener going to take on the biggest bad baddie ever ever. And they didn't do a whole lot killing along the way. They 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 thought more than they th- fought. And but they but you're right. It was always about. Making the and making the world a better place by getting rid of Sauron's uh, Sauron's source of power. So in this case, in a way, in this case, yeah. They, but in a way, I wouldn't call them lawful good, or I wouldn't call they were good. But if anything, they were kind of uh, neutral to chaotic in some yeah. in some ways. Yeah, they 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 weren't upholding the law. They were just making sure that every that everything would be fine for them. They can have their elevenses when they get back home. What what's the one phrase that I've seen in political memes recently? Mm-hmm. A good person is someone who plants a tree for shade that they will never sit in. Yeah, exactly. Especially in case of Frodo, who never got to really benefit from what happened. Right. I would say that in the case of the Lord of the Rings that they did not they did not truly act heroic until they started putting their food planning their food knowing that they weren't planning for a return trip. Yep. That's when they were going to go forward because it had to be done because it was the only way to protect the Shire and to make the you know and to stop the great evil that was so obvious to them. They no longer worried about things like whether they were going to enjoy it afterwards, whether they're, you know, you know they, they saw no benefit to themselves at that point. And see, that's the point where I would say, you know, that now they're being heroic. Before then, they were, you know, they were, they were good. They were very, very good. I'm not trying to take anything away from them, and, and they, but I'm just saying is that what I, in in the vi, in the vision I have of heroic play, that's the point where you crossed over into true heroism. Yeah, I mean, it started when they separated, because up at that point in time, they were part of they were part of the fellowship. They yeah. had protection when Frodo decided to do it by himself, and only and only grudgingly let Sam join him. That's when they started their way to that point. They still thought they could get out, get out of it at that point. You know, get go there, toss it in. It was only I think after the spider, they really realized, yeah, we're not coming back from this. Yeah, you know, uh, you're right. Some places when they're just before they get the Mordor, they're yeah, they're, they're starting to change. They're starting to just basically go, we're going to eat the eat our elf bread because, yeah. But I think really after the spider, they realized, yeah. We're in it for the long. We're in it for the long haul, and yeah, there's no coming back. Oh, yeah. Of course, they didn't know about the the eagles, which could have flown them all the way there and just dropped yeah, the ring in. Yeah, no. but, yeah. <laughs> so the eagles weren't so valiant as the two hobbits waiting waiting for their doom on the side of of uh, of Mount Doom. <laughs> so yeah, of all the characters, the two who basically were the least fighter like of the bunch. The least warrior of the bunch, the least magic user of the bunch, the least cleric of the bunch are the ones that that saved the day. And yeah, 
Cholos, I, I can never see anyone playing those characters because they are so mundane. They're literally the NPCs you normally leave behind at home. <laughs> they're, they're the torchbearers. Yeah, it, yeah, it's the torchbearers, yeah. But here, the point is, is that, you know, and I, I disagree with you, John, is that, you know, they, they weren't the greatest fighter in the land. They weren't the greatest wizard in the land. They weren't, you know, I mean, yes, they did have the greatest fighter in land in the group. And they did have the greatest wizard in the group. And those people did very heroic things and very impressive things, okay? But what they did was still very heroic. So I, I don't think it has anything to do with that. I think it has more to do with the fact that they were totally committed to their goal, but they were also committed to each other. And when they had an opportunity to show mercy, they, you know, they, they did that. And sometimes to their detriment. And that's where it really comes down to, you know, uh, how you want the play to go and what kind of an agreement you have between your GM and the other players. Okay, what, what is your group contract as far as how things work out? Most games don't have the assumption that if you do heroic things, you're going to win. At the end, even though all games, and I will insist on this, that all games are designed so you can win. So therefore, you know, there is that carrot at the end. But it's it, there isn't a kind of a, an over thing. And we'll get to that later as far as that's concerned. But the one thing, but I think I wanted to transition to was the fact that the best way for this to happen um, so that everybody gets to experience it, especially novice GMs, novice players, is that the game system itself needs to promote it. Uh, TriTac Games was uh, was the only game company that I've ever seen, though you did make an, another mention, where the best rewards for experience were given for nonviolent results, peaceful solutions. Those got more experience than just successfully beating your enemies to a pulp. Uh, Hero uh, Savage Worlds is a, is a good example of a very neutral system because you gain experience for the dice going in your favor, or you know if if, uh, if you did pretty well at achieving your goals. You got the most experience. If you got uh, you know if you some good some bad, you got you know, less. And even if you didn't, the if the dice were cold and you just didn't seem to do, but you were there and you participated, you got something. So that system is very neutral in this. And it, you know, even though it's a fast and furious system that a lot of people think would be very heroic, it itself does not, by its system, uh, promote, uh, you know, heroic play. The Palladium system rips... Robotech, Heroes Unlimited, is definitely more geared toward your players using strategy and tactics and things like potential self-sacrifice and even just skill use. You you make your players make a skill roll, successful or not. It's the fact that you used a skill to gain information. That's 25 experience points you get right there. Defeating a major menace is 250 to 300. Potential self-sacrifice, that's a 1,000 experience. So, I mean, acting heroically, jumping on the grenade, 
taking the bullet for a, a teammate, especially if you don't have a superpower. That in Palladium, they Kevin Sabita saw how, oh, it's all based on the kill factor and designed his particular system to promote teamwork and tactics and strategy and heroic play as we've defined it here so far. Yeah. So, so Trav, do you get more points if you actually die in that self-sacrifice? Well, it says self-sacrifice or potential self-sacrifice. So you do get points. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that the fact, you know, <laughs> Is, it, no, this, is this like group, group? Is this group experience or a personal experience? Because some games have both, have one or the other. Yeah, I, I think it's group experience because when I sit there and compute experience, mm-hmm. because I run three mm-hmm. OGL campaigns and a Palladium game campaign, and the Palladium game campaign, I just compute what everyone's done, and I say, okay, you get this experience. Yeah, because there were so many skills used. You guys did planning. You did uh, deductive reasoning is another, and that's either via you know you make your criminal science roll or the player just comes up with well what about this? Deductive reasoning gets I think 150 experience. Yep. So yeah, it is group experience. Everything that everybody does combines, and then mm-hmm. okay everybody gets this amount each. So yeah, and I've mentioned I can't remember mentioned in our this podcast or before of uh, the fate system doesn't even reward you for play. It basically uses a milestone system that allows you to tweak your character between sessions. And it doesn't even at all reflect what goes on the game. Now Mm -hmm. you can, you can get game benefits or campaign benefits like new contacts, things like that. But in actual personal development, there's nothing, there's no, there's no character. There's no stick. You know, basically, you you hit you hit a certain point, you get a minor milestone, then you get a a a, 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 a intermediate milestone, then you get the major milestone. Um, you know, that come up comes up, and uh, each each you know, and, but they are totally divorced from what happened in the game. Yeah, basically, the only way you actually can have some effect is that the player goes, "Well, this didn't help me so much. This one's this one skill, so I'll just go move this one down, move this one up, or I'll start a new skill at the very bottom, or so, things like that." But you really don't get rewarded for your play, other than uh, you got this. You, st- you got a small, you know, uh, cadre of contacts and possible of uh, permanent items you can use in the game. But but fate doesn't really have any character stick. Now, having said that, they do have uh, the um, Spirit of the Century, which um, does promote. I mean, basically, combat is combat, and doesn't it, it doesn't matter if it's entirely with words or if it's with guns or fists. Combat's combat, and you can take someone out just by uh, just by talking to them. Hmm. Okay. But most RPGs reward violence as a solution, okay? It's probably the most commonly rewarded activity you can do. And until like th- third or fourth edition, they didn't even give awards for uh, people using skills. Yeah, um, D20, I don't remember D&D. I mean, they'll mention story award, but it's pretty much in the three or four paragraphs that's in the 3.5 player's handbook, it's whatever the GM deems important. 
Now, in D20 Modern, and Bruce, I know that you're pretty well versed in it, in the Game Mastering section, they actually have a list of, okay, it's for like major knowledge checks or skill checks that you have to make in a scenario. And if it's a, I want to say like a DC 35 or higher, that's equivalent to a CR6 threat being vanquished. So let's say I need my scientist to make this DC 35 knowledge physical sciences check about theoretical physics, because that's the one, one of the things that will get him through the scenario. If he makes it, experience for it it would be the same as if he defeated a cr6 opponent that there is in the game mastering section of the d20 modern core rulebook i never saw that in DD. i think there might be something for solving non-combat encounters in pathfinder but i'm not sure if it's in the core rulebook or if it's in one of the later splat books you know the ultimate books like combat, magic, campaign, intrigue, whatever. But yeah, recently non-combat experience gaining is a relatively recent thing, only within the past 10 years that they really focused on it. Yeah, it's a fourth-generation thing. Um, And one example is Burning Wheel, where you basically you get checks on your skills as you use them and you get enough checks you can then see if they improve but at the end of every session there's this little round table where the, where the players you know basically you have set goals and the goals could be whatever and if you meet your goals you you get what's called artha and you get you and you get uh, extra bits you can use in the game and you know and I played a brewer so making a making a wonderful brew got me points so yeah so you you're you're saying you're you as the player are saying what your goals are what you want to get what you want to get rewards for and then there's the thing called the workhorse the most valuable player and these are not just determined by the gm they're determined by the players the workhorse is the person who in the background he really wasn't in any you know in in a major way a major player but if it wasn't for him we wouldn't have gotten to where we were and therefore, we have a workhorse reward. Then you also had the most valuable player, as determined by by everyone. We ever had to vote vote on who 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 the most valuable person is, and that may be the person who talked the way out of a fight. So yeah, so in the case Burning Wheel, it's it's a group consensus in this case where so uh, everyone has to decide on who who basically who's going to get the rewards, and it's usually the person who. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have we wouldn't have survived this adventure. And it, usually, it's a person who you know sometimes talked really well and convinced yeah. people to back down. <laughs> well, that's great, John. I'm glad to hear it. And and we're going to be talking a little more about how to promote heroic play. The problem I see with story awards is that they're almost always assigned at the end rather than as you go along. And as a result, there there doesn't seem to be that you know immediate payback like gaining experience. You know, you finish a battle and you get experience, okay? Or you do this and you get experience, and so, uh, or you do this and you get treasure. And so you know, uh, 
if you're going to give out story awards, then I, you know, I think that that's something that needs to be changed how it's done so that it has the same amount of standing, the same amount of oomph, let us say, you know, to the player, the satisfaction, you know, um, as these other things. Yeah. And like I said, and this is the stuff that's, I'm talking about as a per session. So overall, yeah. And the thing is, it's, but there's no, you can't level up during a game. Right, but you're still getting it at the end of six hours, John, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. The way that video games are designed is you're supposed to get rewarded at least every five minutes. You know, in some cases, it's a lot less than that. Like in a game like Diablo, you, you basically move forward if effectively 20 feet, and there's something else that you get to fight, and it drops some treasure and so forth. So, you know, there's a lot of games that constantly have a, you know, a, a carrot going toward it as a reward. And we want to reward um, a heroic play, then we have to give out awards that will do so. Now, one of the, the problems I see is as far, and, and it's built into almost every one of these games. If, if your game has combat, then nothing says you have to use lethal combat. Okay, but there is certainly a satisfaction to stomping your foe, you know, killing your foe. Okay, uh, there are uh, many games have non-lethal weaponry in it. Hero system is the only system I know of where the default damage is stun. Yes, yes. And you have to choose to do lethal damage. You know, and when you design your abilities and such. Yes, the killing uh, attack. Yes, Josie. Oh yeah, I've read some of those. Yeah, because uh, um. It was very little to do. Well, yeah. Um. I was bored. Yeah, Josie, her roommate, my former. I used to live where Josie lives now. Our mutual buddy Brian, he still plays Hero System, and I used to play it. He runs and, the thing. Well, yeah. Well, that was the game that we all kind of cut our teeth on back about 25 years ago. But yeah, the killing attack, it is something that you buy specifically. If you just have a straight energy blast, okay, it does some body damage, but it's mostly stun. Now, if you get a specific killing attack, it what is it, for like an energy blast or a physical attack, it's, and I'm getting into the point, the, the rules here, the crunch, Five points per 1d6, but it's 15 points for 1d6 of the killing attack. And then the stun that you do for it is like a 1d6 multiple. So you may do, let's say you get a 3d6 killing attack, which is pretty decent in the hero system. That's tremendously high. Most killing attacks are like 1d6, 1d6 plus 1, because they go straight to body. Yeah, let's say you have a 3d6 killing attack that a villain has. And this guy, you know, like, okay, we'll use the iconic champions villain, Dr. Destroyer, who is kind of like the Dr. Doom clone for the champions universe. A 3d6 killing attack. Let's say he rolls 15 on that, which is good for 3d6. Very good. And then he rolls the 1d6 for the multiplier and rolls a six. That's 75 stun. You just took son. You're down. Not many, unless you're a brick, not many characters have 75 stun. Not many people have 15 bodies. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah, but I mean, you see with a killing attack just how 
Well, even a 1d6. But even so, you were saying there's some satisfaction there. Oh, I, I, I can definitely agree with the whole satisfaction thing. The various games that do that have more of a focus on non-lethal stuff, right? there are options where you can forego the whole snaking around and not killing everything in sight. Yeah. I can ignore that. And usually after about five or six times of failing the stealth portion, I generally do. Yeah, well... But... I I think that might be chalked up, Josie, too. That's a me thing. Yeah, well, that's personal preference. But usually... Role-playing generally is a release. We do it... Well, I mean... Kind of when we do it here on the podcast, for us, it's R&D. But, <laughs> and it is. Like, hey, it is. It is. It's a lot, we do a lot of playtesting. You're right. right. It, yeah, playtesting. Wink, wink. Yeah. Um, but most of you gamers out there, you're doing it after a week of work. You're together on a Saturday night, and you're blowing off steam. You have to be relatively constrained and professional on your job. few things you want to smack around. You know, we all joke around saying, oh, really, I mean, I don't condone workplace violence in any way, shape, or no. form. Tri-tag games don't, we don't roll like that. That's why but I there play are time. the games in the first place. Right. We play these games because there's that little part of us that wants to do the things that we can't do in real life. I wanted to shake certain people in my life like a fresh glow stick. And when you role play, you do that. You, you, you say, yeah, I want to slap her on the criminal. I want to kill the, the bad guy. It, it's our release. It's yeah. feeding that beast that we all have. Yeah. And even Stephen King wrote a Playboy article that was in a textbook of mine many, many years ago when I was in college called Feeding the Beast Below. And it's, it was a treatise on why we like horror movies. The same thing kind of be can be extended to role playing. Why we role play to do the stuff that we can't do in real life. Yeah. People that honk us off, we'll sit there and take out, and we do get frustrated. Modern life is very frustrating, folks. Mm-hmm. We do the things in role playing that you know deep down we kind of wish that we could do in real life. Right. Yeah, I mean, let's be let's be honest. Since all of us are GMs. Welcome to the pack, J- Josie. Yes, uh, you are. We, are. we, we yeah. will take out. We, we will take it out on the players sometimes when we have. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. No idea what you're talking about. Thinking about But I, I'm going back to the uh, the carrot and the stick. I just I just realized in, in games like Fate and Savage Worlds, there is a mechanism for in-game benefit. Uh, in Savage Worlds, it's called the Benny. Oh yeah. In fact, Sarah's world. In fact, you, you you're encouraged to put a big pile of bennies and say, when someone does something you like, give them a benny. And bennies are useful. And in fate, there's the fate points. And typically, fate points are only given out when you uh, when you do something. But you know what? They also say, and if someone does something spectacular or something wonderful, give them a fate point and they, that they can use later on. So they do have an in-game method of rewarding behavior. Now, which they don't say which kind of behavior. Yeah, it's very subjective. 
And and so again, that's where I I, I talked about you know you, if you want to do heroic play, then yeah, you'll start rewarding heroic play. Okay, but we're talking about the things that are kind of getting in the way of heroic play. Okay, and when I was talking about you know do um, um, like say killing people in the game. Okay, there's a a clen- uh, uh, even though it may be very messy in 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 the in the reality of it, it's very clean. It's very final. Okay, that bad guy's not coming back. Okay, you solved that problem. It's done. There's no repeat offender. Yeah. <laughs> You're not sending them off to Arkham Asylum for them to escape in a year or two. And and due to the wow factor, weapons that do damage uh, tend to be more desirable than less than lethal weapons. Even if the less than lethal weapons achieve the same effect. Unless, of course, you make your less than lethal weapons much more spectacular when they're used. Let, let's say you have a... Oh, we have the stun grenade and... You describe it because rule, I mean, yeah, it'll say in the rules, but let's say you describe it as you throw it, it sets off, and this massive blue-white ring of light stretches out for like 30 feet, and everybody drops. No saving throw, no regard. You might have Mm -hmm. one defense against it, but it's a rare. People are going to want that because it's like, yeah, we've just taken care of everybody within 30 feet, and... It's clean, it's quick, and let's say they're out for like an hour. That's yeah. fine. But, yeah, usually, again, they want the big bang, they, they want the BFG, I believe the term is. That is the yeah. will term for it. And big cracking gun. Yeah, <laughs> big crawling gun, yeah. Yeah. The, the sleep spell at first level in D&D. Everybody loves that. They love to see the opponents just drop when that happens, okay? But if they're honest, it is, it is you know, it still doesn't have the kick that's setting that fireball off. Oh, stuff. yeah, that's why everybody, you okay, fine, I'm using the sleep spell. Oh, look, I've hit fifth level. I'm a wizard. I get third-level spells now. 99% of the time, you pick fireball or lightning bolt. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, it's also because it does all that damage. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the really yeah. insane ones that go for both. Oh no. Well, well, Josie, you know, she'll do spellcasters. Yeah, and all the spellcasters you've played while gaming with me, Miss. I don't think I can put on one hand the spell list that your characters, where magic missile isn't on. <laughs> it's kind of like I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Same situation because for a while there, I was leaving on um, one of the characters in my Bureau 13 game. Didn't uh, was a magic guy. I always would leave it empty, leave his powers empty. So you get four, you get four of these. You can pick from the book, and I I would swear they all picked the same powers. Every one of them except for one was offensive. You know, it's like it was the same powers over and over again. It's like okay, I just now this simply this is what people pick. Bang, at least leave it on the sheet. <laughs> Yeah. They want to okay. poke holes in people. In D&D, when they created artifacts, you had to pick from multiple tables. You didn't get all offensive abilities. You also got a few useful abilities, you know, that were, you know, that were 
supportive of the party or supportive of the of the mission, but didn't necessarily cause damage. Yeah. Well, speaking of less than lethal, I with uh, doing my play test for the fringe of the game, uh, one of the characters was a pacifist. He was a he was a priest. He was a small p pacifist, not big p pacifist. There there are actually uh, differences. Okay. Big p pacifist or Gandhi. Okay. He wasn't. He ju- he was just a a Missouri preacher. Um, so, but he, uh, he was one that wielded the shotgun with, with the beanbag rounds and the, uh, grenade launcher that launched the uh, tear gas and CMDMs at the guys. Yet he was the most accurate play. I, I swear he could pick off people at the, at the very edge of the range for the uh, beanbag gun. And he took down one person with a, uh, with a, um, c- uh, CS gas grenade, hit him right in the middle of the chest. And then it went off. Oh, <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, he's a pacifist. <laughs> None of his attacks will outright cause lethal harm. Yes. But he made it to where his, yeah, he he won't kill you, but he will make sure that you were out of the picture. He was good at what he did. He yeah. promoted his philosophy and made it into an art form. Yeah, I think he, he, he could probably have played a... Uh... Uh, Shepherd, Shepherd book, you know, with that one quote, you know, as someone says, isn't there rules against killing? Lord yeah, said, the Bible's Lord, kind of fuzzy on the subject of kneecaps. Kneecaps, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Best line in that series, yeah. So uh, I'm glad you mentioned Bureau 13 because, again, we're talking about TriTac, and Bureau 13 has a moral line which its agents are expected to tow because. And, and the reason is because they want support of higher forces against their battle against darkness and evil. Okay, but by saying that, that means that the players have a reasonable expectation that when the day is darkest, the GM should be expected to provide a path to save the day. Okay, and not be called ex dies machina. I mean, it's supposed to be, yeah, or it is. I mean, but the point still is, is that the players should feel like this, there's, they're going to get, there's, there's an ultimate, there's going to be a payback for them towing that line, you know, or it doesn't matter. And if it doesn't matter, why would anybody pay attention to it? Okay. IDET also is, is supposed to have a moral code because the way it's, it's been written. I mean, uh, uh, Richard, when Richard talks about how IDET uh, does on various worlds, it's always in a very supportive, behind-the-scenes kind of raising people up. But when we talk about the goals of IDET, we usually talk about how they're out there trying to find you know, technology to bring it back and save Earth. Okay, and that they're and, and that they're going to do whatever they need to in order to bring it back, but uh, nah. they're still expected to follow the UN's code of humanitarian human rights. Okay, but it's kind of nebulous, is the problem. Okay, I mean obvious things like you're not going to uh, promote slavery, you're not going to promote you know war, but. Um, I'm just saying, is it? But it has problems in that it lacks, you know, real standards. Is what I'm trying to say. You know, real operational standards of what you can and cannot do. When you go out on the paths, you are left to your own devices. You are made to be a self-sufficient team. 
it's kind of one hmm, honor system is the best I would think would be the best way to describe it. You are yeah yeah you're expected to go out and be kind and decent and promote the UN as a decent peacekeeping body and to to give Earth Prime a good image. Yes, we are here to help. We are here to aid you. And it's kind of along the lines of, oh, and by the way, if you have anything that, you know, we can take back to help our planet, that would be nice. I mean, yeah, they're going to be nice, but they, I mean, United does motivate by wealth. It's yeah. even in the fluff text of the 92 edition, where Ed Powers is there, the crystal goes off, the guy with the German accent takes him aside, hands him a $100,000 check and says, congratulations, sir, you are fringeworthy. So, yeah, you are going to be nice. Because especially in the beginning, they kind of had to take anybody that was fringeworthy. They didn't have the luxury of, well, yeah, let's put this guy through a psyche bow and see if, you know, if he's even, you know, worthy of being out of there. There yeah. is still, you're getting paid, you're doing it for the fame. You're do There are all these other factors. If you are being heroic on the fringe paths, the UN Charter, they look and go, okay, well, if we don't break these, we won't get into trouble. Some people are like, if they don't find out, I won't get, you know, the cop, cop didn't see it, I didn't do it, George Carlin line. Hmm. But generally, if you are going to follow the UN Charter, it's a personal decision of the character. It's not yeah. like they really drum it into you, because you know, as soon as you walk through that portal, and we've mentioned this before, as soon as you walk off Earth Prime's platform, there is nothing really other than your own morals and that of the party to come back to Earth Prime when you're done. Now, this is interesting, because during my playtest, one of the characters was a photographer slash cinematographer, and he suggested that everyone carry body cams. And I never told them they had to turn them on, but for the most part, they turned them on willingly. And therefore, they knew everything they were doing was being recorded from at least one or two different sources. Now, yes, sometimes they went out and didn't put the cameras on, but that was the rare event rather than the than the standard event. More more often than not, they would you know they get ready to go out, wait ten minutes, turn on the turn the digital cameras, and go and do their things, okay. you know, knowing full well everything is being recorded. Because uh, basically they were IDET too. They were the, they were team too, and they basically were out there and you know going to new places, and they wanted the information. That's why I had a yeah. photographer with them. <laughs> yeah, but haven't you just established a nanny state instead? You actually aren't. But it wasn't me who who did the who did it. It was the players who did it to themselves. Okay. Well, I'm just saying is it just seems like they're creating a. Rather than inspiring themselves to be better, they're just simply saying, "Well, if we do wrong, we get spanked." Yeah, and they'll ask about why, 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 why was, why didn't you, why did you turn your camera off for that for for ten hours, you know that sort of thing. I never actually did anything like that because they never did anything that rewarded to be asked why they turned the cameras off for ten hours. But still, yeah, I mean, yes, the players did it to themselves because they they said you know because we want to record stuff and they did it more for because they want to make sure the next team that came here had the information. Right. 
Well, that's and that's why you should wear it. But I'm just saying is that if you wear it to police your team, then you're not. Um, I'm saying is you're you're basically using the the stick instead of the carrot. My personal opinion is that you cannot achieve the level of heroic play that you're looking for if you don't use the carrot primarily. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.